I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles. Turn with me to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. Standing, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11 this morning. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. And then Pastor will be bringing a message entitled, The Making of a Disciple. The Making of a Disciple, taken from Luke chapter 5. And we're going to start in verse 1. And it came to pass that, as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gesserit and saw two ships standing by the lake. But the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. And when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let your nets let down your nets for a draught. And Simon, answering him, said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net brake. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And he was astonished, and all that were with him at the draught of the fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for this day, for this time that we can have together. We thank you now for the time of preaching. We ask that you would bless and anoint our pastor with the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, be with us during the service. Be with the extended ministries taking place at this very moment. And in all this, we'll give you the thanks and praise. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated. Amen. Thank you, Brother Frank. So keep your Bibles open to Luke chapter 5 this morning. Uh, we are understanding and studying the fact that the body of Christ, the church, needs to be like Christ. And being like Christ is the only way that the church can provide the help, the hope, and the home that only Jesus can give. So we've been following the, the life of Christ, the ministry and teaching of Christ through the Gospel of Luke. I was telling somebody earlier, the scaffolding behind me is just a week late. So you remember last week we talked about how when Jesus went to his hometown in Nazareth and they wanted to throw him off of a cliff. Um, I had Brother Charles Kaufman all set up to help me illustrate, um, but it was a week late. Um, so we didn't get to throw Charles off the scaffolding. But that's okay. But we're in Luke 5 now, and Luke 5 really represents a real turning point in Peter's life and ministry. Jesus here calls Peter and his crew to be his disciples. Now, it's important for us to understand this was not the first time that Jesus and Peter had interacted. In fact, if you look back in Luke chapter 4, you'll find the account of Jesus healing Peter's mother-in-law. Really, this was not even the first time that Jesus had called Peter to follow him. 
You go to John chapter 1 and you'll see another account of another time where Jesus calls Peter to follow him. But in spite of all these interactions, we find that in Luke chapter 5, that Jesus is still working with Peter. Jesus is still calling Peter. Aren't you grateful that God doesn't give up on us? Aren't you grateful that we serve a God of second chances and often third chances and that truly His grace is greater than our sin? But as we look at this account this morning in Luke chapter 5, really it provides us uh, several poignant truths about following Jesus. Now, that's what a disciple is. It is a follower of another. It is a learner of another. You really can't call yourself a disciple of Jesus and not follow Jesus. You really shouldn't call yourself a Christian and not try to live like Jesus. Because, in essence, we are using words then that have no meaning. But I want to point out as we get started this morning that being a follower of Jesus, being a disciple of Jesus, is different than salvation. Salvation is the miracle of a moment. Salvation happens that moment that I turn to Christ and put my faith and trust in who He is as the Son of God and what He has done by dying on the cross for my sin and then rising again in victory over death. At that moment, the Bible says, I pass from death to life. That I pass from being a child of devil, the devil to being a child of the king. Salvation is the miracle of a moment. But discipleship, following Jesus, being like Jesus is the process of a lifetime. Salvation is the one-time decision to come to the cross. Discipleship then is the moment-by-moment -moment decision to carry my cross for the glory of God. We follow him. Because we are saved by Him. And so if you're here this morning, I want to encourage you, you can't overlook salvation. If you've never come and put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, do it today. Nothing else I'm going to say really applies to you until you make that decision to put your faith in Christ today. You can't overlook salvation. But hear me, church. We can't overlook discipleship. Jesus has called all who know him to follow him. And so I want to see some lessons that Jesus taught Peter and shows us in the making of a disciple. Look with me at Luke 5. We'll begin with verses 1 through 3. And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake. But the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Number one, this morning, as we consider the making of a disciple, discipleship requires you to be available. Discipleship... Following Jesus requires you to be available. Now, Jesus' ministry here was taking off. There were many, many people who had come to see Jesus, to be healed by Jesus, to hear Jesus teach and preach. And so many people had come that Jesus was in need of a better speaking position. And so Jesus comes to the lake of Gennesaret 
And he gets into Peter's boat and he calls for Peter to thrust the ship out a bit into the water. Now, Jesus' call to Peter was inconvenient to say the least. Think about it. Peter wasn't in the boat. Peter had the boat docked and Peter was cleaning up to go home. So let me ask you, what if tonight after church, I waited till you got in your jammies? Grant, what if I waited till you got in your jammies? And then I walked up to your driveway, I got in your car, and I texted you from the back seat, hey, I need you to take me somewhere. How would that go over? You probably just mute your phone, you see? But isn't that what a lot of us do to Jesus sometimes? Boy, Jesus' call was inconvenient. Peter had worked all night. He was tired. He was ready to go to bed. He, he, he was asked by Jesus to put his property, his assets on the line. Everything about Jesus' call was inconvenient. And yet at Jesus' request, what did he do? Peter broke his routine and allow Jesus to commandeer his ship. By the way, that is discipleship in a nutshell. Hear the word of God and respond accordingly. You know, the reality is God is still speaking. The reality is God is still calling men and women to serve him. But I'm afraid that we are more unavailable than ever before. Hey, I'm busy. How about you? I'm tired. How about you? I don't know, but the coffee didn't hit the same this morning. I'm still a little bit tired. I feel a little bit foggy. I wish there was something with more caffeine that I could have intravenously pumped into my veins sometimes. Sometimes I just don't want to, amen? We're busy. We're tired. Boy, in this season of the year, many of us don't feel well. And really the reality is most of us are just flat unavailable. Moreover, many of us echo the words of Felix from the book of Acts when God moves in our hearts. So we remember uh, King Felix there. Paul was testifying to Felix and witnessing to Felix. And in Acts 24, 25, Felix had this to say. And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time. When I have a more convenient season, I will call for thee. Hmm. That's how many of us feel about our Christianity. You know, when it's a more convenient season, I'll get saved. How many people have said that to themselves and then they never do? When it's a more convenient season, I'll get serious about the things of God. When it's a more convenient season, boy, I'll I'll serve Him. I've talked to young people who've said, well, I'll serve Him when I'm an adult. I have talked to adult, young adults that said, well, I'll serve him when I'm married. I've talked to married folks who said, well, I'll get serious when the kids are grown. And then later on, you know what? I'm going to get involved. I'm going to get invested. But only when I've enjoyed my retirement. 
And then one day we wake up and many realize they've never really answered the call to follow Jesus. They were never really available for King Jesus to move in their lives. Often we do our best to fit Jesus in. We pull out our planners and our to-do lists. But no pun intended, if you're living your life trying to fit Jesus in, you've missed the boat. Jesus said this in Mark 8, 34 and 35. He said, and when he had called the people unto him with the disciples also, he said unto them, whosoever will come after me. So that is the essence of discipleship. It is following Jesus. Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Verse 35, though, whosoever will save his life. In other words, I, I want to hold on to what I have. I want to build what I have. I want to, it, it, it's mine, Jesus. Whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake in the gospel, the same shall save it. Truly, when it comes to the making of a disciple, the greatest ability that God desires is simply your availability. The greatest ability that God desires is your availability. God doesn't need you to be great. He's got that covered, amen? God doesn't need you to be rich. He's got that covered too. God doesn't need you to have all the answers because guess what? He's got that covered, amen? He doesn't need you to be smart. He doesn't need you to be good looking. He doesn't need you to be charming. He doesn't need you to be that. He simply wants you to be available. So we consider the making of a disciple this morning. Boy, Jesus showed up. Jesus got in the boat. Jesus said, Peter, let's go. It wasn't convenient. It was potentially costly. But what do we find? The followers of Jesus must be available. Available. So discipleship, number one, what? Discipleship requires you be available. Are you available this morning? Let's continue, verse number four. Now, when he had left speaking, Jesus finished preaching and teaching the crowd. He said unto Simon, launch out into the deep. And let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were with them in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. So number one, as we consider the making of a disciple, we find that a disciple has to be available. Available to God's call. Available to hear His word and to respond accordingly. That leads us to the second point. Discipleship not only requires you to be available, discipleship requires you be directable. Requires you to be directable. Once Peter showed that he was available, what happened? Jesus began to lead them into deeper waters. 
At first, he said, thrust out a little so that I can teach and preach. Then, after he said, thrust out, he said, verse 4, launch out into the deep. Again, what was it? It was the word of God that directed Peter. By the way, we can't underemphasize that reality. You know, as Christ, there's a lot of Christians that are led by a lot of different things that aren't the word of God. A lot of believers are led by their emotions. A lot of believers are, are, are led by their material desires, their covetousness. Believers are led by their lust. Believers are led by all sorts of different things. What should we be led by? The Word of God and the Spirit of God. Amen? And again, it was the Word of God that directed Peter. Now, I want to stop here and explain that Peter, Jesus' instruction to Peter made no sense. To understand fishing in that day, the place to net fish in the lake of Gennesaret was the shallows, not the deep. The time to net fish was the night, not today. Peter and his cohorts, these guys were the pros, not Jesus, right? By the way, I mean, you think of it this way. I would never tell Robert Reinberger how to work on a car. <laughs> never. Why? He's the pro. I'm not. And yet Jesus here gives instructions to Peter that just flat don't make any sense. So what happens? Peter argues with Jesus a little bit. Now, this is something that Peter will do several times in the Gospels. Argue with Jesus, talk back to Jesus. By the way, he never wins. And so that's a good lesson for us as well. Um, you might think you have good reasons and logic and excuses, but you ain't going to win. And so Jesus, or Peter here argues with Jesus a little bit. And Peter's reasons are all logical. They're all reasonable. You know what, Master? We've already worked all night. You know what, Master? Going out into the deep doesn't make a whole lot of sense. His reasons were logical. They were reasonable, just like we feel ours are. How often do we pull out our spiritual calculators and show God, you know, we would if we could, but... You know, I would be the kind of husband the Bible says, but... I would be the kind of wife. I would be the kind of parent. I would, you know, it amazes me how often even Christians will excuse sin in their lives. Living in open sin. Well, you know, I would, but you see, Jesus, I, I, really, can't, I, I really can't get that right. I really can't get well, you, you see, Jesus, I have my reasons. It, it adds up on the old spiritual calculator, but it doesn't, does it? We pull out our spiritual calculators and show God how we would if we could, but. You know, church, understanding that following Jesus will do some things to us. Following Jesus, you know what happens? When I follow Jesus, He will stretch me. When I follow Jesus, He will allow me to struggle. You can sense the struggle in Peter's reasoning here. He will stretch me. He will allow me to struggle. Why? So that I can come to greater faith in him. 
I'm reminded as we talk about being a disciple and following Jesus, there is really only one way to live the Christian life, and that is by faith. Four times in the Bible, it says that the just shall live by faith. Hebrews 11, verse number 6, reminds us that without faith, it is what? It is I need, a, I need a little more. We need to let them people in radio land know, okay? Help me out this morning. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Impossible. The Christian life can only be lived by faith. But I'm going to tell you, faith has two great enemies. The first great enemy of faith is doubt. But here's the thing about doubt. Doubt, when addressed properly, can often be the doorway to greater faith. I remember the father of the young man that was demon-possessed. And you'll remember the disciples couldn't heal him. And, and he came to Jesus to heal him. And what was Jesus's, what was, as they talked, what was the father's statement to Jesus in Mark 9, verse 24? He, he said this, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. You see, in his doubt, he recognized that weakness. And so doubt, in essence, then became a doorway to greater faith. You see, doubt is one of the great enemies of faith. But I think a more dangerous, a more deadly enemy is, than doubt is certainty. Because there is no room for growth in certainty. So many Christians are not directable. Why? Because we already have it figured out. We already know what we want to do, the limits of what we want to give, what we want to be involved in, what we don't want to be involved in, what we're willing to entertain, what we're not willing to entertain. We already know the career trajectory. We already know the next major purchase. We already know this. We already know that. The reason that so many believers aren't directable is because we've got it all figured out. Hey, I know what's best. Isn't that what Peter was saying? Lord, we've been here. We've done this. We've tried this. Lord, we know what we're doing. We know what is best. And the reality is, for so many of us, our lives don't operate on faith, but they operate on our well-laid plans. But praise the Lord here. Did you notice Peter's response? It is mostly commendable. Verse 5, Simon answering, said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night long and have taken nothing. But what's that next word, church? Nevertheless, at thy word. And what happened? When Peter responded to God's word, what happened? Obedience and little things led to big blessings. By the way, discipleship, let me summarize it for you again. It is simple. Hear and heed the word of God. Allow the spirit of God to take this book and mold your life to be like Christ. My response to God's word is the key to following and serving him. There is no greater metric. But I did say Peter's response is mostly commendable. 
Because Peter's response is also relatable. Now, Peter knew enough about Jesus to know he didn't want to be the guy who told Jesus no. Like, nobody wants to be that sermon illustration. You picture Jesus teaching the Sermon on the Mount, and beest thou not like Peter, that guy who refused to let down his nets. He was a spiritual bum who lacked faith. Don't be like Peter. Nobody wants to be that sermon illustration, right? Can I get an amen there? And so Peter knew enough. He didn't want to be that guy. And so what happened? Really, I think Peter tried to make the words of Jesus work for him. In verse, at the end of verse number 5, Peter said, Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. Now, to the casual observer, Peter nailed it. But I don't think he did. Did you notice the difference, the subtle difference, between what Jesus said in verse 4 and what Peter did in verse 5? In verse 4, what do we find? And when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your what? Your what? Your what? Your nets for a draught. Now go to verse 5. Notice what Peter did. He said, nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the, the net. Did you catch it? Jesus said what? Let down your nets. Peter said, okay, I'll let down the, the net. Hmm. You know what this was? This was safe. Because partial obedience wouldn't cost Peter too much if it didn't work out. It would really just be one net he'd have to clean again, mend again. Partial obedience wouldn't cost too much if it didn't work out. Peter was shooting for the best of both worlds. He could be both religious and realistic. I mean, come on, because... Who fishes with nets in the deep in the daytime anyways? So I can be religious and I can be realistic. By the way, that's not true discipleship. True discipleship requires you be directable. But how often do we, like Peter, try to take Jesus' words... And make them work for us. Well, God, I know you said I need to love her like Christ loved the church, but I mean, I'll figure it out, God. I'll make it work. Well, Lord, I know I need to honor him, but uh, have you seen him? I'll make it work, Lord. I got this. And we do it. We do it over and over and over again. We take God's word and we make it work for us. Religious and realistic. Involved but not overly invested. We tip God on occasion instead of tithe. The Lord is our honored guest, but he is not our high and holy God. But disciples must be directable. Let me ask you this. Do you believe that it is entirely reasonable for God to ask you to do anything? 
Do we believe that this morning? That it is entirely reasonable for God to ask you to do anything. You might be 65 years old and God might call you to be a missionary. Guess what? It is entirely reasonable for God to ask you to do anything. You might be 12 years old and God might challenge you to step out of your comfort zone and to serve in a way you never have. But it is entirely reasonable for God to ask you to do anything. Why? Because he is God. Amen. That's why we're to bring our bodies a living sacrifice. That's why Proverbs admonishes us to trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not into our own understanding and all our ways acknowledge him. And he shall direct our paths. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse number 20 reminds us what? That we are bought with a price. We are to glorify God in our body and in our spirit, which are God's. Followers of Jesus must be Directable. So what do we see about the making of a disciple this morning? First, disciples or discipleship requires you to be what? Number one, discipleship requires you be available. Are you available? Could God speak into your life right now? Are you available? Number two, God, discipleship requires you to be directable. Some of you, some of you have been hanging out in the shallows for a long time. And you know, you know what God's next step for your life is. Maybe it's to join the church. Maybe it's to get more involved in the church. Maybe it's to step out by faith and start reading your Bible every day. You're not going to understand it all. There are going to be some things you struggle with. But hey, isn't that the thing? God will stretch us. Amen. God will allow that struggle. Why? To lead us to greater faith. Discipleship requires you be directable. Are you directable? Does God have the liberty to step into your life and to move you and instruct you and direct you as he pleases? Or are we trying to balance religion and being realistic? Followers of Jesus must be directable. But I want you to see how this account ends. Let's pick back up in verse number 6. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes in the net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. So they came and filled both ships so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord." For he was astonished in all that were with him and the draught of fishes that they had taken. And so also, and so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. So we've seen in the making of a disciple, first, discipleship requires you to be available. Don't put God on mute. Thank you for that, Grant. That was a wonderful addition. Don't put God on mute. Discipleship requires you to be directable. But finally, discipleship results in you being transformable. 
discipleship results in you being transformable. We see the miracle. They let down the net, the net break. The friends got involved, but everybody's boat began to sink. And Peter realized that Jesus' plans and power were greater than anything he could imagine. It's a lot like Jeremy's testimony, that God's plans for us, what God wants to do in us and through us, is greater than we could imagine or plan for ourselves. And so what happened? When they got to shore, Peter answered the call, forsook all, and followed Jesus. Peter walked away from the boat. He walked away from the business. He walked away from the fish. You think about it, Peter walked away from the biggest catch of his life. Why? Because following Jesus Jesus offered greater satisfaction than anything this world could offer. I'm going to tell you, church, whatever you think you're missing out on in life by following Jesus, you're wrong. Relationship with Christ offers deeper and more resilient purpose and satisfaction than anything this world could possibly offer. But I'm going to tell you, Christians live with so much fear of missing out with this world. But I'm going to tell tell you, the longer you try to hold on to it, the more you're going to find that really the world offers only emptiness. I think about Solomon. Solomon, uh, a wise man. Solomon, a very, very rich man. Solomon gave this testimony in Ecclesiastes 2, beginning in verse 10. He said this, And whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. So anything he wanted, what does the Bible say? If he wanted it, what did he do? He got it. Simple enough, right? I mean, how many would sign up for that, that way of living? I mean, if I wanted it, I got it. On the surface, doesn't that sound good? On the surface, doesn't that sound like the American dream? If I want it, I get it. Boy, it's good, isn't it? He said, I withheld not my heart from any joy, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was the portion of my labor. Boy, I had it all. And then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought and on the labor that I had labored to do, and behold, my heart was full of joy and peace and purpose. Is that what it says? No, what does it say? And behold, all was vanity. That means emptiness and vexation. That means frustration of spirit. And there was no profit under the sun. This world will offer you everything, but it will leave you empty. The world offers only emptiness. Sin offers short-lived pleasure that quickly turns into long-term pain. What do we know? That though there is pleasure in sin for a season, James 1.15 reminds us that sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. So really, when I follow Jesus, what am I missing out on? I'm missing out on the emptiness of this world. I'm missing out on the pain and the penalty of sin in this world. There is nothing like knowing Jesus and following Him. And it seems so odd to say, I've got to let it all go to be able to find what I'm really looking for. But I'm going to tell you, the Christian life is full of those paradoxes. 
where I have to die to live. I have to surrender to be free. I have to let go to gain. Here's the, here's the quote from the day. If I'm going to be a disciple, I have got to quit holding on to my fish and trying to follow Jesus. Quit trying to hold on to your fish and follow Jesus. Just follow Jesus. Jesus changes everything. I love the words of Jesus here. The call to follow Jesus included a promise. Not for an upgrade in life. You guys get those text messages from Verizon too? Like six times a week. Bring your phone in now. We'll give you a new phone that you'll pay for for six years. You pay for phones as long as you pay for cars nowadays, but that's a different story for a different time. Trade in now. We'll upgrade you to the new iPhone 15 plus 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 with 17 cameras and, and night vision and, 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 and radar detection and, and whatever else they have these days. <sighs> But you go get the iPhone 15 plus, 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 plus. What do you find? I mean, it's very similar to the iPhone 11 and 12 and 13 and 14, right? I mean, it's, I guess it's an upgrade, but yeah. You know, sometimes that's what we think happens when Jesus comes into our life. Like, yeah, Jesus is here. So I, I get an upgraded life. Like, like, I was here, but now I'm upgraded. I'm no longer in like... Uh, business. I'm, not, I'm no longer in the regular seats on the plane. I've been upgraded to business class. Maybe one day if I follow Jesus long enough, I'll get comfort plus. And then maybe if I'm really, really good, he'll bump me up to first class for a little while. You know, we'll just upgrade. But, but how many of us realize that it really doesn't matter where you're sitting on the Delta plane. It really isn't all that great. <clears throat> Can I get an amen? Although I have never tried first class, so I, I can't really speak from experience there. If anybody wanted to allow me to do that for sake of a sermon illustration, um, I'm just kidding. Um, but the call to follow Jesus includes a promise not for an upgraded life, but for a new life. Jesus told Simon, he said, fear not. From henceforth thou shalt catch men. In other gospels, it's put this way. Jesus says, I will make you fishers of men. You see, when we follow Jesus, he gives us not just outward direction. He gives us total transformation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 reminds us, if any man be in Christ, he's a what church? He is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. In Jesus, it's not just outward direction. It's not just religion and rites and ritual. It is total transformation. The offer has been made by Jesus, but it is received in surrender. If Peter had said, no, that's cool. I got to process these fish, though. He would have missed out on God's plan for his life. But Peter found new birth. Peter found new identity. He was a fisher of men now. By the way, if you're a Christian, you have a new identity. 
So many Christians still identify, well, you know, I'm just the old nasty fleabag sinner I've always been, but plus Jesus, so that's better. No, 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 you are a saint. You are, you are a Christian, a, 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 a reflection of Christ, a little Christ. You are adopted into the family of God. You are a joint heir with the Son of God himself. Boy, the devil's got a lot of us stuck in the past. The devil's got a lot of us stuck in the some were some of you. We still look at ourselves and see this and this and this and this. And the devil wants to leave you right there. But I'm going to tell you what, Jesus wants to take you beyond that. I love what Paul said in, in Corinthians 6. He says, and such were some of you. He says, but ye are sanctified, justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Boy, Peter was given new purpose, new identity. Embrace the transformation. Christians, stop living in the past. Saved people are no longer qualified by their sin, but by their salvation. Learn to live in light of what God has done and what God has promised to do. New life, transformed appetites, transformed attitudes, transformed actions. We are no longer a part of the kingdom of darkness. We're a part of the kingdom of light. We no longer abide under the wrath of God, but under the grace of God. No longer enemies but sons and daughters. Church, lift up your eyes. Lift up your expectations. Lift up your hopes. Jesus changes everything. And discipleship, following Him, what does it result in? It results in you being transformable. Hey, how many this morning can say, praise God, I am not the man or woman that I once was? Hey, amen. And praise God, I am not the man that I am going to be one day. He's still working on me, amen. He's not going to leave me here. He is going to perform a work in my life when? Until the day of redemption. Discipleship results in you being transformable. I love the old saying, God loves you right where you are, but he loves you too much to leave you there. Such were some of you. But praise God, when Jesus entered, everything changed. So what do we see? We see Peter answered the call, forsook all, and followed him. Woo, that's good, right? Peter's now a disciple. End of the story, right? He just goes on being a disciple. Is that how it works? No. No, 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 no. This thing of discipleship is a process that doesn't end. Because here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus will keep taking you deeper. <laughs> Think about Peter's life with me. So we see here the stretch. Hey, Peter, thrust out a little. Let me use your boat. We see the struggle. Uh, Jesus says, Peter, launch out into the deep and cast your nets. Eventually, we see the surrender. But it doesn't end there with Peter. You remember a little while later in Jesus' ministry, he called the disciples together and said, look, fellas, we're going to go to Jerusalem. They're going to take me. They're going to beat me, spit on me. They're going to crucify me. And three days later, I'm going to get up out of that grave. What did Peter do? Peter said, um, um, come here, Lord. Come here. 
Now, Jesus, this is not going to happen to you, Jesus. Knock off all this talk. And Jesus looked at Peter and said, what? Get thee behind me, Satan. You want to talk about a stretch? You want to talk about a struggle? But what did Jesus say? When you're converted, when you're turned, when you're right again, strengthen your brethren. You think about when Jesus was taken. Peter there, he had that opportunity to stand up for the Lord. But but he was asked, hey, aren't you a follower of Jesus? And three times, what did he do? He said, I don't don't know what you're talking about. I don't know the man. Three times. But what do we find? We find that in that stretch where Peter was called upon to publicly identify with Christ. In that struggle, we find Jesus as he met him by a lake. And another time, he called Peter to do what? He said, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. And we see a surrender that eventually leads Peter to be able to stand up on Pentecost, at Pentecost, and publicly proclaim that Jesus is alive. And thousands of people got saved. A stretch followed by a struggle that led to surrender. But it doesn't end there, does it? No, you see a little later in the book of Acts, the Lord was getting ready to to, to take the gospel officially to the Gentiles. And he wanted Peter to go see Cornelius. Now, in order to do that, you'll remember he gave Peter a little bit of a dream. And in that vision, in that dream, a, a sheet came down and it had all sorts of yummy foods that the Jewish people weren't allowed to eat. I am so grateful we are not under the dietary law. Amen. I enjoy my ham and my bacon and and wrapping everything in bacon. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. I honestly think that's why, like, never mind, we won't go there. Um, Ask me off the record. Uh, But uh, the Lord told him, he said, Peter, get up and eat. Peter said, no, 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 no. And the Lord said, if I've made it, it's not unclean. Peter, get up and eat. You see the stretch, right? Peter's being called to do something he's never done before. Peter's being asked to do something that that he's uncomfortable with. You see the stretch and you see the struggle. But eventually what happens? Peter surrenders to the message and he gets up and he goes. And Cornelius' house, they get what? They get gloriously saved. And isn't that how God works? He stretches us and there's a struggle within us. But the key is, when you feel the stretch and when you're going through the struggle, find a place and just surrender. Just get on your knees before God and say, God, I'm available. God, I'm directable. God, I want to be transformable. Over and over and over again. As long as you'll let Him, He'll take you deeper and deeper and deeper. That church is the making of a disciple. He will take you deeper until the time comes for him to take you home. Christianity is simply following Jesus. It is faith in his shed blood. It is following him every day in every way. We ask you, are you available? Are you directable? That makes us the disciple that we ought to be.